Welcome to episode 27 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building comic stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Jordan Cart, comics creator. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Noah. Hey there. And our special guest interview, Jordan Clark. Jordan, why don't you uh, lead us off with a little background about yourself and uh, some, so, uh, some news about uh, your comics that you have uh, going on. Oh, cool. Um, well, yeah, my name is Jordan Clark. I'm a comics creator. Uh, I live in Baltimore, Maryland, and I've been making comics for about six, seven years now. Um, so basically how I got started, I was uh, a broadcast journalism major uh, in college. I went to Morgan State University here in Baltimore as well. And um, when we were getting out of college, <laughs> a lot of our professors were kind of like, yeah, not like this industry is dying, but like, they're like, you know, like a lot of people are doing this on like Twitter now and like podcasts now and all this other stuff. Um, and again, this was like 2000, you know, 11. So, I mean, not like a long time ago, but, um, you know, to see all of that kind of come to fruition. I was like, yeah, they were basically right about <laughs> where everything was going. Um, so, I mean, it wasn't like I left college like, oh, man, like I'm not going to have a career. But I left college kind of like, oh, OK, like, you know, I'm in the midst of a, a big change in the industry that I was going to go into. So uh, I was lucky enough to get some work doing like TV stuff, uh, like behind the scenes stuff, um, but still tried to like make creative things as I was doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so originally I was trying to do like, you know, short films and web series and stuff like that. But. Um, obviously, you know, when you don't have a budget, it is difficult to get people to do things for free. It's difficult to, uh, you know, find the time to do all that stuff and, and find all the money to do all that stuff. Um, but in college, uh, I fell back in love with comics growing up. I didn't have comic stores around where I lived. I grew up in Montgomery County, mm-hmm. Maryland, which is, um, basically like 10, 15 minutes outside of DC. Um, but yeah, there weren't any comic shops around. So, I mean, my comic book exposure was like, I watched all the Saturday morning cartoons, like X-Men, Batman, Superman, all that stuff. Uh, and then my family would make these uh, road trips back to Chicago every summer. Uh, and they would stop at like antique malls and, uh, you know, places like that that just had comics around. So I would like grab that stuff, but it wasn't like I had a shop to go to or anything like that. Um, but when I went to college, uh, I had a professor that was really into comics, um, and me and him, you know, talked a lot and he kind of got me, you know, back into a lot of stuff. And then there were stores in Baltimore, obviously. So I started going to those and and picking up and reading a lot of stuff. Um, so when I got out of school, I was like, well, you know, I could do comics. Like it's not, not like it's not hard, but you know, a lot of the ideas I, I felt that I had for, you know, TV and film and other stuff. I was like, well, I could just turn those into comics, right? Um, so, you know, I got into some anthologies early on um, and I self-published a couple of things. Um, and then eventually I was lucky enough to be in uh, the Bitch Planet triple feature that was put up by Image Comics uh, two years ago. Um, and lucky enough to get into the Library of Congress last year nice. at, at SPX. Um, and it's just kind of continued to kind of put out um, you know, a, a good mix of self-published work and then some anthology stuff. Um, so I guess my work in general, a lot of it is kind of revolving around identity. Like the first comic I ever did for uh, an anthology was basically like a Twilight Zone 
esque thing where this guy goes into this um he goes into kind of this this room and he's talking to somebody on the other side of the glass and basically you know talking about how you know he he kind of feels like he doesn't know who he is anymore and he kind of wants to be like everybody else and as he's talking like his face starts to like melt away and he's kind of just like this blank face um and then when he leaves, you know, you, you, you figure out that the world, everybody else in the world has that blank face too. Um, you know, so he was one of the only people who had, you know, his own personality and identity and all that stuff. And he just kind of wanted to, to melt away into society. Uh, so a lot of my, my work kind of figures around that theme. I had an anthology called Duality, which was just about like the mixing of the physical world and the digital world, kind of how, you know, the more dependent we become on technology and the internet and stuff like that, how that kind of affects how we interact with each other and how we see each other, um, you know, as individuals and as a society. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of my jam is like science fiction with, you know, some social commentary, some political commentary, but mostly just like introspection i guess like i'm a big i'm a big kurt vonnegut fan and kind of a lot of his work is like you know like look how crazy the world is like isn't that why are we doing these things to each other like why are things like this um so that's that's kind of you know the the vibe i go for with my work um so you had mentioned that you had a professor um that was influential um in getting you back into comics what were some of the what were some of the comics he he gave you so he um was really big into like marv wolfman teen titans and like okay. a really big cyborg fan um, literature yeah i mean <laughs> at, at, at that time um i'm trying to i'm trying to remember because again it was, it was 2000 like 7 2008 um and i was kind of not fully into what was coming out at the time so you know i because i think that was around the time that like avengers versus x-men was happening um and uh i think final crisis was happening or was about to happen um but he you know also just kind of was like look um you know i was talking to him about the dark knight because i love that movie so much and he was like mm -hmm. you need to read year one you need to read long halloween yes. you need to read um you know, the Dark Knight uh, and the Dark Knight Returns. Um, and, you know, I mean, I read I read Watchmen and then I just, I was a huge Flash fan. So I just got all the Flash, like from Jeff Johns to Grant Morrison to Mark Wade to all that stuff. Um, so, I mean, you know, I'd, I would kind of just go to him and be like, is this cool? And he'd be like, yeah, or like, no, <laughs> don't read that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, he, he was, you know, because seeing him, you know, obviously it wasn't that I, I thought comics were like, not cool or I didn't have any like uh you know I felt like comics were, were a thing that weren't for me obviously because I, I loved all the comic book tv shows loved all the comic book movies played all the comic book video games but I just I'd never read comic books like consistently like I didn't again I didn't have a store to go to mm -hmm. um and I didn't really know like where to start if I wanted to like read Superman or read X-Men or any of that stuff so I mean he was a great you know resource just to kind of be like you know these are the things you should read these are the things you should avoid that's uh that's a that's a valuable resource yeah, yeah. definitely did you um, um when you were making films were you making sort of the high concept identity themed films as well or that was that sort of what you were doing with your short films as as well uh so i, I mean i never really got to make any <laughs> films which oh okay is, that was that was the problem that was i was like yeah it'd be great to do this to do that and like i mean again not even just thinking about like making 
you know, big budget like films, but even just doing stuff on my own, um, you know, it was kind of like, it was, it was just me. So it was me filming it, me doing the audio, me, uh, you know, editing it, me directing it, you know, me having to like act in it sometimes, you know, just in terms of how things broke down. Uh, so I had like a, a web series that never was, uh, (laughs) I was, it was basically going to be like a dumb comedy sketch show. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, again, just in, in terms of, um, you know, taking those ideas, like, uh, I think even with, with the things that I wanted to turn into films and TV shows, you know, it, it did always kind of have those ideas and themes behind it. Um, but obviously, you know, the, the good thing about comics is that you do ostensibly when you're making it, you have the unlimited budget in terms of like all the special effects, all the, you know, the best casting, the best, whatever, like you don't have to worry about that stuff. You just have to like try to not, you know, kill your artist in terms of you know <laughs> what, what they're drawing and what they're doing. Um, but you know, it, it does only just come down to your imagination in terms of, you know, you can have a book on Mars, you can have a book set in the past, you can have, you know, all the costumes and all the, you know, whatever, like you don't have to worry about, you know, actually physically buying those things um it's just a matter of you know representing those things on the page that's awesome so do you think uh there's any correlation between the the uh the visual medium of movies and the visual medium of uh or the the visual aspect of uh telling stories in comics that uh ties those two things together for you yeah i mean i think you know obviously um you know more and more comics and tv and and film are are becoming interconnected and intertwined Mm -hmm. um you know you can you can see you know a lot of people who are clearly influenced by you know specific films influenced by stanley kubrick influenced by tarantino influenced by you know um spielberg and and george lucas and and all that stuff and trying to integrate that stuff uh into comics um and vice versa you know uh, a lot of films pulling things literally visually from comic books referencing these things um you know and uh i think there is a good amount of crossover obviously both mediums have things that are exclusive to them things that you can't really do in either so i think it's it's in terms of 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 the crossover um you know, there's a lot of good aspects to it, but you know, don't, if you're, if you're making comics, don't necessarily feel like, Oh, like, uh, you know, I really like this movie. So I'm just going to turn this movie into a comic. Mm-hmm. Cause like my dinner with Andre, the comic is not great. Like that's not the thing that a lot of people want to read. Um, but it's a great movie, but it works because it's a movie. Um, and you know, and, and vice versa, you know, there's certain things in comics, um, you know, certain comics, like um you know even something like one of my favorite comics of all time is uh grant morrison's animal man run and um you know just the weirdness of that and the strangeness of that but also like how interconnected it was to the dc universe as a whole like that is not a that doesn't really work as a movie (laughs) like that's kind of a weird thing um you know so comics have you know the ability to do things you know visually also i mean just a splash page is something that, you know, comics could really, you know, grab your attention with that, you know, single images in films can do that, but 
you know, because films are moving images and comics are static images, you know, you're really trying to grab people's attentions with, you know, the colors that you're using and the, and the imagery that you're using and, um, you know, having big, bold imagery, you know, when you turn a page and you just see this thing, you know, you're like, wow, like, that's amazing. Um, and also the ability to actually, you know, go back and, and say, oh, like, you know, this thing on this page is now coming to fruition on this page. And it's, you can't do that when you're watching a movie, specifically in a theater, like at home, you can rewind and go back and forth. But I mean, even that is not like a pleasurable viewing experience when you're just rewinding and fast forwarding and doing all that stuff. Whereas in a comic, if you just want to go back and see something again, like just turn the page, you know, turn it back again. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, obviously very influenced by films and, and things like the twilight zone. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, I, I always try to make comics comics and, and not try to make comics that would otherwise have just been a movie if I could have done that. Um, but really try to like get the most out of the medium. That makes a lot of sense. What we talk about a lot on this podcast is how writers and artists work to control time within comics and that's something film has is that, you know, the filmmaker and uh, can control, you know, how the amount of time it can takes to convey information and whatnot. But when you're, when you're doing comics, you have to find cheat codes to hold your eye on a certain panel for different times mm -hmm. or like a different amount of time, whether that's through how much detail you put into the panel or how much dialogue it is. And what I've seen from your bitch planet story and also, just what I've read from the Black Experience, there's a lot of time manipulation in those stories as well. So, do you, do you think about that while you're writing about like how long you want to be holding on each panel to convey certain amounts of information? Yeah, I think um, you know specifically for those two stories, you know, because I'm working in a shorter medium. The Bitch Planet story was eight pages. Um, the Black Experience is like five pages. So. Um, you know, you only have so much time, so much space, you know, that's in comics and film, you have time in comics, you have, you know, page count, panel count, um, right. lit literal space on the page. And so, um, you know, I think there's that fine line that you have to navigate between, um, you know, you don't necessarily want to rush the, the reader along specifically again, when it's a shorter piece, um, yeah. you know, you really want to get the most out of it. Um, but at the same time, you, are basically trying to get a beginning, middle, and end in such a short amount of space um, that you know you you don't really have time, I guess, uh, mm -hmm. to to mess around and and kind of do more things, um, add more flourishes. So uh, for you know, Bitch Planet, one of the things I, I tried to do was one really kind of immerse the story in the world of Bitch Planet. So I, I went back. Um, originally and just read through everything that had come out beforehand um, and tried to to really match the visual language of the uh, the main series uh, so one of the things that Kelly Sue did um, is she would just kind of have those like um, like caption panels at the top that would kind of just like you know bring in a new scene uh, so in this one in the uh, triple feature story I had you know there was um, you know, you, you kind of turn the page and there's a, a headline that's kind of like the worst that could happen. And then you the know, right uh, thing to do. And right. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I kind of tried to, to head those. So, you know, it was almost like you were, you were entering a new scene and this was kind of acclimating you to that scene. Um, and then you could kind of digest that in that uh, small gap. Cause it was also uh, the conceit of the story is that this woman uh, basically has 
a short amount of time to to find somebody to get married to have kids. Otherwise, she's kind of viewed as useless to society in, in the world of Bitch Planet. Um, so, um, you know, there's there's literally a ticking clock. She's got this thing called the biological clock, which is like a yeah. Fitbit that is kind of telling her that you know time's ticking. Um, so, uh, you know, really trying to to make sure that you know, you're, you're moving through the story, you're moving through time, you know, you're moving through, you know, a couple of days, a couple of weeks. Um, but, you know, having each, each page kind of feel like its own segment of time. So each page is kind of its own, um, you know, it's seen in and of itself, right? Like she's doing speed dating and she's going on a date with, you know, somebody that her mom set her up with and she's doing like a dating app and all this stuff. Um, so each of those things are kind of, you know, set off as their own individual things. Um, but hopefully, you know, they're moving you through the story as well. So you're kind of seeing, um, you know, time is, is ticking down through each of these um, until you get to the very end. So, um, you know, I think it's, 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 difficult you know sometimes to kind of figure out what you need to put in and what you need to take out in those instances because obviously you know if that was a a 22 page full story you know there's all kinds of other jokes I could throw in there there's all Mm -hmm. kinds of other you know storylines and characters and things that you can put in there Um, and I think if you are you know kind of getting started in comics it's a great exercise to kind of do shorter stories to kind of you know not it's not bad instincts or bad, you know, um, you know, desires to kind of want to, you know, populate your world and your stories with as much as possible. Um, but you know, you kind of have to, you're forced to get to the point and kind of cut through, you know, a lot of other things that left to your own devices, you kind of would, you know, do this and add that. And, you know, I kind of went through that with, um, Naomi Frankie's, who was the artist, you know, we were just bouncing ideas off each other and kind of different scenes and different, you know, crazy weird stuff that we could do. Um, but you know, obviously, you know, we settled on, you know, the few things that we did and, um, you know, I think it works well just in terms of, you know, you're, you're getting a complete story. Um, but it doesn't feel like, you know, it's just jumping around from place to place there. There's a narrative purpose for, you know, time jumps and there's a narrative purpose for, you know, kind of, you know, jumping around to these different scenes. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I think it's just, something that is, um, you know, necessary working in in shorter comics, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how to get the most content, uh, the most story packed into it. Um, So I don't know. I don't know if it's a thing that I think about just naturally when I'm working on stuff, but obviously it's, it's a main concern that I have when trying to tell shorter stories. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Naomi, brings such life to your script as well. There's a, there's a great partnership in that, in that story, especially with how she drew the facial expressions on all the characters were just, they complemented the dialogue so well. Yeah. She's amazing. And, um, she's somebody that I'm, I'm really excited. She was in, uh, the latest two issues of squirrel girl. Um, she had a, a, a solo story and then they had like the 50th anniversary. Um, and she had a, a short story of that, Um, but she, yeah, I mean, you know, when you're, when you're working on stuff, um, you know, as a writer, obviously, you know, you're, you're trying to get as much of your own stuff in there, but you know, comics are, unless you're doing it by yourself, comics are a partnership, you know, you're working with somebody else. Um, and you know, the best comics are when, 
you know, two people are, are kind of bringing the best out of each other and they're kind of playing yeah. off of each other um, and letting, you know, the other person kind of have those moments to shine. So I definitely leaned on, you know, Naima's ability to not only just have, you know, really great expressive, you know, facial expressions and body language, um, but also, again, you know, a lot of the stuff uh, when I when I do a script, you know, I do a full script, um, you know, meaning that, you know, I'm telling her page one, panel one, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, I, I try not to direct the script, I guess, in terms of like, you know, we're coming at a low angle or, or, or it's a it's a full shot or it's a, you know, whatever, you know, using more film terminology. But I'm just kind of right. like, this is what's happening, you know, in this uh-huh. panel, like, you know, uh, you know, this character is here, she's talking to this person, um, you know, she, she feels this way, you know, she's thinking this, um, and just kind of giving her more direction in terms of like, you know, what characters are thinking, what characters are feeling, you know, kind of, you know, approaching it as if, if, if I was the director of a film and she was the actor in the film, you know, mm-hmm. giving her what she would need to effectively complete that scene, right? So, you know, she can, you know, instead of just being like this person standing here doing this, it's like this person is in this situation and giving her more context, you know, in terms of, you know, how characters are feeling in terms of, um, you know, context, maybe outside of the scene, you know, kind of, uh, you know, what, what might be going on in a larger sense so that when she's drawing these things and she's approaching these characters, she's got kind of a fuller, richer, you know, look at it. So she's able to, um, you know, just kind of add her own, you know, unique touch to it. So it's not necessarily me dictating every single little part of what's happening in the story as much as it's me kind of saying, you know, literally this is what happened. You know, here's the dialogue. Here's, you know, panel by panel kind of what, you know, you're looking at here, but also like here's, you know, something for you to play around with. You know, if you want to, you know, have this person doing this or sitting this way or pose this way or, you know, however you want their facial expressions to go, like giving her that freedom. And we kind of, you know, talk through things and bounce things off of each other. Um so that, you know, by the time she sat down to draw it, it wasn't like like what's going on here or like how should I be, you know, looking at this? Um, but it was kind of like, oh yeah, like I know exactly what's happening here. And and that I hope hopefully that gave her the freedom to kind of like just, you know, do her thing and she definitely did her thing which i'm i'm very grateful for yeah it's a great comic i one thing i think people would probably be pretty interested in is is how you got the the story to image and to kelly sue um so could you go into that for us definitely yeah um so i saw kelly sue talk at third eye comics uh which me and matt uh are, are definitely familiar with. I met yeah. Matt at Third Eye Comics when uh, Tom King was signing there last year. Um, and this was like 2010. This is whenever Pretty Deadly was coming out. Okay. Because um, she was there with Emma Rios doing a signing for the first issue of Pretty Deadly. Um, but she was also going to be doing a, you know, writer's workshop afterwards. Um, so I was like, great. You know, like at the time I hadn't done anything yet. Um, and I was just trying to learn how to make comics and it was like, Oh wow. Like here's this professional comic book writer. They're going to be here. You know, she's going to give me the secrets of, you know, how to like, you know, be a successful comic book creator. And then I'm going to go and like do all this other stuff. Um, so, you know, I went and, uh, I met her and she did the workshop and basically what I learned at the workshop is that I, I kind of, everything that she said with the exception of a few things were things that I had already read online, either like, you know, stuff that she had written online 
or, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that, you know, a lot of other people had said, cause I, I devoured like every interview I could find. I read understanding comics. I read making comics. I read, you know, all the Scott McCloud books and all that stuff. So like, by the time I got to this workshop, it was kind of like, I, I had all the information up here. Um, but the most crucial thing that you said was like, you should make comics. Like that's the number one, like learning curve is like, once you start making comics and you get the experience of doing comics, like that's when you're going to learn the most, like you can read all the books and like read all the interviews and all that stuff. But until you actually like make a comic and probably more specifically fail at making a comic and know why you failed at making a comic, like that's when you'll get good at making comics because then you'll have, you know, a basis to go off of instead of just kind of like theoretical stuff. Um, So she suggested like, you know, send something to, you know, anthologies, see if you can get into anthologies. That's a good way to start out making stuff. So I sent off that, that first story that I told you about to an anthology that got accepted. Um, you know, I kind of did more stuff. Um, and every once in a while I would kind of like send her a message on her like Tumblr and stuff like that. Kind of like, Hey, you know, I did this, you know, and show it off. And she'd be like, Oh, that's great. Like keep doing that. Like keep making stuff. Um, so two years ago, or I guess it was three years ago now, I'm still adjusting to 2019, even though we're in April. <laughs> um, um, three years ago, I, I saw her at um, Heroes Con in North Carolina, um, and I had just made my anthology, the Duality Anthology, um, and I brought it to her, and it was kind of like, hey, you know, like I made this because you, you know, basically encouraged me to make stuff, and, you know, I showed it to her. And she was flipping through it and she was like, oh, this is great. And I was like, oh, you know, thank you. And she kind of handed it to the woman sitting next to her who happened to be Lauren Sankovich, who's the editor of Bitch Planet. But she also edited like, um, you know, Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four run and like Karen Gillard's Journey into Mystery run and like uh, a bunch of other stuff at Marvel. Um, so she was flipping through it and she was like, oh, yeah, this is pretty good. And I was like, oh, thanks. And they're like, you know, do you have a table here? And I was like, yeah. It's like, oh, like we'd like to come and like buy some from you. Um, so, you know, Lauren came over and bought some comics from me. And then, um, you know, Kelly's really great just in general, but you know, at uh, Heroes Con, she does like a lot of stuff for the fans with the fans. So she did like some workshop stuff, but then she also does like this walk, um, you know, around downtown Charlotte. So I went and did that and I kind of got to talk to her some more. And she was like, oh, like, yeah, like, you know, Lauren read the story that you did, like she read through your anthology and she was, you know, saying how great it was and how much she liked it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. And, you know, I ran into them a few more times. And then when I got on the plane to go home, I was like, well, I'll never see those people again. That was was great to like, you know, talk to people and have that experience. Um, But then a few weeks later, they got in contact with me and they're like, hey, you know, we're doing this thing at Image uh, for Bitch Planet we're going to do this anthology series, you know, to kind of pad out time between, um, you know, when we put out the book, because they, they were switching over to kind of like what Saga does, where Saga does like six issues, and then they take a break, and they come back and they put out six more issues. Um, so they're moving to that model. Um, but they're like, well, you know, in between while we're waiting, let's, uh, you know, do this anthology to kind of, you know, A, give a spotlight to people um, who are kind of, you know, up and coming in the industry, but also, you know, kind of give our world kind of, you know, more of an expanded view and kind of fill things out a little bit. Um, so, I mean, it was really, it was, it was kind of just luck and being in the right place at the right time, but also, um, you know, just kind of being prepared. Like if I hadn't made anything and I hadn't, you know, done the work ahead of time, uh, you know, when I met them, you know, it would have been like, Oh, like, you know, it's great meeting you. And like, you know, I, I love your stuff. Uh, and then that's kind of it, but having, you know, a book at hand, um, you know, that I had made and, you know, I, 
you know, did my best to make sure it was professional quality, um, mm. you know, professionally printed, you know, it looked nice and all that stuff. Um, and then also just kind of like, you know, it's, it's always hard and weird meeting creators at, you know, conventions and things, specifically conventions, just because like, you know, a lot of the times you're in a line and there's other people behind you and, you know, you only have like two or three minutes to kind of talk to this person before it starts to get awkward and people are just kind of sitting behind you. Um, but then also just, you know, again, like when you see them around, you know, either, you know, whether at the bar or whether they're just kind of out and about, like, you know, you never want to feel like you're not necessarily taking up their time, but like, you know, you're just kind of like, Hey, talk to me because like, I, I yeah. want to talk to you. And like, yeah. you know, you, you never want to feel like you're trying to like sell them on, you know, you or, or your work or all that stuff. Or um, beg them for a gig. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of difficult sometimes to create natural interactions. Um, mm -hmm. but I think again, you know, having a book in hand and being able to say, you know, whether they accept it or not, some creators are like, Hey, you know, I, I don't take, you know, stuff just because, you know, I don't want to take your book cause I can't guarantee that not even like I'm going to read it, but like, I'm, I'm going to get on a plane I don't want to have to put throw your book in the trash because, you know, I have, you know, all these things that I have to take back now. And like, um, you know, so some of them are, you know, they'll, they'll politely decline, but you know, even if you can just kind of be like, Oh, well, if you can't take it, just like, can I show it to you? Like, can you, you know, kind of, you know, look at it for a few seconds. Um, most creators are really nice and they'll, and they'll take the time to talk to you and kind of look at stuff with you. Um, so, you know, again, it was just, it was a matter of, you know, kind of being persistent, but also kind of having the work ahead of time. So when I had the opportunity to meet her and kind of chat her up and, you know, again, just luck of the draw that they were doing that. Cause you know, I could have shown that to her and they could have been like, wow, that was great. But also like, we don't have anything going on right now. So we don't really have anything to do with that. But you know, just the fact that they had this anthology coming up, um, you know, and they reached out to me uh, again, I felt very fortunate um, specifically because bitch plan is, is, um, you know, a series that, you know, I like a lot, but also just seeing how much it means to other people, you know, and people get, you know, it tattooed on their arm and on their body, you know, and yeah. like it's a thing that's like, you know, it's a series that means, you know, a lot to a lot of people. So uh, the fact that they wanted me to contribute to it and the fact that they let me and Naomi, again, not do literally whatever we wanted, but they gave us a lot of leeway and space to kind of create within their world. Um, so you know, I felt very humbled by that because, I mean, that's a level of respect um, that, you know, you don't know if you're going to get from, you know, a creator. Uh, but she was great about just kind of, you know, letting us do our own thing, encouraging us to do our own thing. Um, so, you know, I mean, again, not not every situation where you meet somebody at a show is going to, you know, turn into an opportunity to, to do work or like, you know, get, you know, other things. But I think just in terms of like networking skills and ability, like, you know, it's, it's, I think most of it comes down to like trying to be as cool as possible. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not specifically within who you're meeting. Like sometimes it's like, this is literally my hero. Like I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to be able to compose myself in this situation. So like, it's okay to be awkward. I think it's, it's not okay to be like, you know, forceful or, you know, expectant of people and kind of like pushing yourself or your work upon people. Cause that's obviously going to turn people off. But, sure. um, you know, if you have stuff to show people, like by all means show people, um, and you know, always, you know, have your business card ready if they ask for it. Um, you know, have 
copies of your comic ready if they ask for it. Um, and just, I just, just stay ready. I think is the, is the thing. Cause you never know when you are going to have those opportunities when somebody is going to say, Hey, you know what? I, I need this. Somebody showed me this, you know, a few weeks ago at this convention, what was their name? Here's their card. Let me get in contact with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and just be ready to, to have those opportunities. Cause yeah, if they get in contact and you're like, uh, like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to do. Like I've never done this before. Um, you know, I know like Neil Gaiman talks a lot about like how, like he didn't know how to do comics when he first started doing comics. He just kind of like acted like he knew what he was doing until people believed he knew what he was doing. And then by that time he actually knew what he was doing. So it's kind of like, you know, um, if, if you prepare for situations and then you have a little bit of luck on your side, you can, you know, find yourself, you know, having these opportunities. So. Very nice. Um, so let we, we we covered that one pretty well. Let's uh let's go into your story that's in another anthology that was the the Puerto Rico um relief anthology. Um why don't you tell us a little bit about Sato? Am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Sato uh is a story that I originally did for Puerto Rico Strong and um my mom is Puerto Rican, so I'm part Puerto Rican and you know when the hurricane hit 2 years ago um, you know, I mean, it's, it's a kind of surreal situation because you're watching this thing on TV and you're like, you know, I was there. Like I used to, I went to Puerto Rico a couple of times. I have family in Puerto Rico. You know, my mom was born in Puerto Rico and she's kind of, you know, watching this stuff on TV and it's, you know, it's very emotional and, um, you know, you're not really sure what to do because obviously, you know, you can give money and donate money and that's great. Um, and necessary, uh, but in the face of something like that, you're kind of like, you know, I, I mean, I could give you a hundred dollars, but I don't know what a hundred dollars is going to do for all of this. Um, so, you know, I was like, well, you know, Puerto Rico strong was happening, which, you know, was an amazing anthology. Um, all the money, you know, that, that book, you know, made went toward, uh, Puerto Rico hurricane relief, which was fantastic. Um, you know, and, you know, the great thing about the anthology itself was it wasn't just like stories about the hurricane. It was stories about Puerto Rico, about Puerto Rican culture, about food, about the island, about the history. Um, so it was kind of a great representation of, of Puerto Rico. Um, and my story was about the Satos and the Satos are kind of the wild dogs that live on the island. Uh, so there's a beach um, in Puerto Rico where, you know, a lot of the dogs would congregate. Um, and unfortunately because of the hurricane, you know, a lot of those dogs either got, you know, displaced, you know, just pushed further into the Island or, uh, sadly kind of swept into the ocean. Um, so there was a lot of, you know, confusion and a lot of people trying to figure out what they can do because, you know, obviously now, you know, those dogs are always kind of like wild dogs that lived on the Island, but like, but now they're like everywhere. You know, they're kind of like dispersed and spread out. Um, and so, you know, there's a couple of organizations uh, that were, you know, doing relief specifically for them. Um, so, you know, I made the story to kind of also, you know, raise awareness for, you know, the animals on the island. Um, so the story is basically, you know, this dog, the Sato, that kind of like had formed this bond with these people, you know, would go and kind of eat at their restaurant and then you know, they would kind of give it food and scraps and you know, they saw it over a long period of time. Um, But then the hurricane happened and then, you know, everybody's kind of not where they're supposed to be anymore. Um, So it's kind of like a homeward bound situation with this dog trying to reunite with these people that had formed this relationship with. Um, And I like the way that it came out. I think a lot of people uh, responded well to it just because I feel like, you know, overall the sentiment was, you know, um, you know, everybody kind of felt 
displaced themselves, you know, when, yeah. when the hurricane happened and they were kind of, you know, trying to figure out how to rebuild. But, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, the message of, of Sato was kind of a message of hope and the message of Puerto Rico Strong was obviously a message of hope. Um, and, you know, hopefully, you know, people who did see that story and read that story, you know, kind of felt, you know, a similar way where, you know, hopefully in moments of, you know, crisis, art can kind of be something that, you know, people can look towards and kind of, you know, get, um, you know, get, get, get hope from, but also kind of, um, you know, get a little bit of understanding from, get a little bit of um, peace of mind from, and, and maybe even a little bit of distraction from, you know, where you can kind of, you know, read the story and kind of get, get taken away a little bit and get your mind off of things. That's really great. Yeah. Um, okay. So how about if we, uh, we move into uh, some of your, uh, your future projects? Uh, one, sure. one that's going to be uh, coming up very soon and that's Elk Mountain, which is mm-hmm. coming to Kickstarter um, in a matter of days as, as mm-hmm. we record this. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about the, the story there? So Elk Mountain is a story about uh, an immigrant superhero who lives in this small town. He's been there for a while. He's basically Superman. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a vest Superman never left Smallville. So, you know, he's, he's been there for, since he was a kid, everybody in town, you know, knows who he is. They know his secret identity. You know, he's, he's kind of, um, you know, the, the open secret in the city, obviously like people at large don't know who he is, but, um, you know, he's, he's, been there through you know the good times and the bad times and he's basically you know the symbol the beacon of hope for this town um but as you know fears surrounding immigration rise and you know people start to question people more and more you know he's kind of put into the situation where um you know one people are looking at him differently you know because they know he's an immigrant and they're kind of questioning his his motivations and you know what he's doing there really um but now he's also put in the situation where he's seen other people who you know look like him who come from a similar background like him you know but obviously they are not superheroes and you know don't aren't afforded the same you know kind of protections and privileges that he's afforded you know being the superhero um and he's kind of got to make decisions about what he's going to do because you know uh real world situation you know if superman was real superman couldn't necessarily just break people you know out of out of holding you know all the immigrants and, and the children that are kind of being you know held against their will like it's not a thing that if superman did that obviously that's you know creating more chaos and confusion for people because you know he can't make them citizens like even though they're not necessarily still being detained like they are not automatically citizens just because they have entered the United States of America. You know, there's a lot of people who are in the United States on work visas or student visas or, you know, other situations where, you know, they're technically not citizens, but they're also not here illegally, you know, but they're on the path to citizenship, um, you know, dreamers and the like. Um, and, you know, Superman kind of interfering, you know, very visibly and physically in that way doesn't necessarily make things better for them. He can't pass legislation. He can't do all those things. Um, uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of a look at, you know, you have a hero who is as powerful as somebody like Superman, um, you know, but his powers don't necessarily, they can't, he can't fight, you know, immigration reform. He can't fight, uh, you know, the way that people view him and, and the fears that people have about him. Um, and, you know, it's kind of figuring out, you know, well, well how do you, you know, write these wrongs, you know, when you're kind of used to writing these wrongs with your fist or, you know, just being that physical presence. But now, you know, you're in a situation where you kind of have to, 
um, you know, figure out something different, but, you know, also kind of be this, be this beacon of hope in a time when a lot of people um, are, are scared and, and fearful. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of courage to do those things. And, um, you know, I wanted to create a hero who, again, you know, for a lot of people who are looking for representation, who are looking to see themselves in comics, I couldn't really think of any immigrant superheroes necessarily, specifically, um, you know, Latinx superheroes. Um, you know, like Superman is, again, an immigrant in a sense. He's from another planet, but, um, you know, obviously he's never really had to deal with, you know, anything like that. I mean, nobody, you know, ice isn't coming for Superman. Uh, but, um, you know, this is a hero who I think... Uh, can be, you know, very much so grounded in, in the world that we live in today and can kind of speak to a lot of things that we're seeing going on today. Um, but, you know, we wanted to approach it from a standpoint of not necessarily like, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk about, you know, immigration reform, you know, from a policy standpoint, and we're going to talk about, you know, a lot of like strictly political things, but more so, you know, trying to show what it's like to be an immigrant and what it's like to, to be in a situation where, you know, there's a lot of immigrants uh, in this country who have been in America for a long time and, you know, nobody's really given them any problems and nobody's really, you know, looked at them, you know, funny or questioned, you know, why they're here. Uh, but, you know, they woke up one day and then people were doing that and it was, you know, your neighbor and, you know, people who, you know, you thought were your friends and people that you worked with and, you know, people that you went to school with. And, and now you're kind of, you know, this outcast, um, you know, in, in the town and the, and the city that you live in. So, um, you know, trying to, to, you know, tackle that and, um, you know, create a story around that. Uh, but also, you know, trying to create, again, you know, similar to Sato, something that's, that's helpful, that's uplifting, that people can read and experience. And, you know, obviously hopefully get you know some emotional resonance from but also you know kind of step away from it feeling you know better about you know the way that things could go is this the first issue or is this like a graphic novel length uh so originally last year we had kickstarted it to try to get the whole thing done um okay. uh, unfortunately we weren't successful in that regard so we've kind of retooled things um we've, we've added more to the story um, but we've also are splitting the Kickstarter up into hopefully just two. So um, this coming Friday, April the 12th, when we launch, uh, we're going to be going for the, you know, the first part of it, which is going to be about 35, 36 pages. Um, and that'll give you the first chunk of the story. And then hopefully we get funded. And then coming back in the fall around October, November, um, we're going to go and try to fund the second half of the story, which would be another 35, 36 pages. Uh, so cool. around you know, 60 to 70 pages total when you put everything together. Um, but we, we just found it was probably going to be more feasible for us to be able to fund it in two parts yeah. uh, than to try to fund it all at once. Um, so uh, we're, we're feeling good. We're feeling hopeful. You know, we're trying to get yeah. as much support and drum it up as possible. Kickstarter, um, as you guys know, is, is definitely a marathon and definitely uh, something that, you know, is again, just a kind of a luck situation. You know, you launch it at the right time, you get the right amount of support. And then, you know, two days into it, you've got all the money you need and you're kind of, you know, riding high or, uh, you know, you've been running this Kickstarter for 27 days, pulling your hair out and you're like a thousand dollars short and you've got three or four days left and you're just like kicking yourself trying to figure out how you can get that last couple of, of dollars. And so, um, you know, I mean, we're ready for whatever comes. Obviously, we have experience running this the last time. Uh, we took notes on, you know, things that worked, uh, 
uh, we kind of focused on the rewards that people were, were most responded to uh, and kind of tried to streamline things a bit. Um, so, you know, I mean, reward wise, uh, if you want to talk about that just for a little bit, we have, um, obviously you can get the book, obviously you can get it, you know, physical copy, a digital copy. Um, but we're also, you know, trying to do things that add value to the campaign, but don't necessarily cost us money. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, um, you know, part of that is doing, uh, comic making tutorials for people who are interested in making comics. Um, we're going to be recording, uh, a series of videos uh, and possibly also a podcast where you can listen to it and it'll be me talking about, you know, how I go about making comics, how I go about writing comics um, and, you know, showing you specific things that I did with Elk Mountain. Uh, it'll be our artist, Vince Underwood, um, you know, who will kind of, you know, go through his art process and he'll, you know, he'll, you can watch him draw a page of the comic. He'll talk you through what he's doing, uh, talk you through, you know, the programs he's using, uh, you know, our colors, Brittany Pierre will do the same thing with the colors. Um, our color, uh, letter Hassan will do the same thing with the letters. Um, and so if you're somebody who's either a, just interested in how comics are made in general, you know, this will be a good way for you to kind of see how a comic is made from start to finish by each member of the creative team. If you're somebody who's trying to make comics yourself, uh, you know, give you opportunity because you don't have to get all of them. There'll, there'll be, you know, the option to get all of them, but there'll also be the option to get just the individual one that you want. Uh, so if you are an artist and you just, you know, you're trying to figure out, you know, how to do different things, or you like the way that Vince draws and you want to figure out how he laid out a panel or how he laid out a page, um, you know, he'll kind of talk you through that uh, in one of his videos. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's, again, with Kickstarter, it's always that tricky trade-off of like you know trying to give people value and trying to give people things but you know we just didn't want to make a bunch of like t-shirts and buttons and things that like people will get and appreciate but also like are you going to wear that shirt you know, you know a lot yeah. are you going to wear that button a lot is this just something that i'm printing up that you know it looks cool but when you get it you're kind of not that it would be like you know trash like you're going to send you a low quality product but like when you get it you're kind of like oh yeah that's cool but then you know yeah. like the, the book is what we're trying to give you the book is what sure. we're trying to sell you um you know so if we can give you more value that adds to the book you know we're, we're trying to figure out ways to do that that's cool and i think that's a pretty novel concept uh from my experience with Kickstarter and comic Kickstarters, I'm not sure if I've ever, I've ever seen that side of that approach. So I, hopefully that, that works out well for you guys. Yeah. And I've read yeah. some of your blog posts. So I know for sure that everybody's in for something good. If you get some insight <laughs> into this kind of stuff. So you've got, you've got some great, great insight into the art and of uh, making comics. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So um, I think uh, I think we'll probably uh, wind the the interview down here. Uh, Noah, do you have any uh, final questions or, or, or thoughts here? Uh, just that I'm really excited for Elk Mountain. I, I love the idea. I love the the premise. So I'm I'm definitely looking forward to getting an issue uh, to donating to this Kickstarter and getting a getting my copy of it. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, I, uh, the. The just uh, hearing the story now is it's it's really it's really interesting, and I think some of the best superhero uh, storytelling is when you actually shed uh, real life events or real world happenings in there and, and tell it and tell it in a different light, but still tell the story. So uh, this is going to be pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, again, hopefully people are are into it, and enjoy it. Um, you know, me again, like 
the reason that I like Grant Morrison's Animal Man so much is that it's it's <laughs> it's a it's a it's a story about him kind of losing his mind, <laughs> basically. But it's it's also uh, you know a superhero comic that isn't necessarily all about you know being a superhero and superheroing as much as it's just about him being you know a person and um, you know there is a lot of him you know discovering his reality as what he thinks it is. But mm-hmm. um, you know it's it's. I think the the superhero comics that stick most with me now as I get older um, are the superhero comics that kind of speak to, um, you know, the world at large, but also to just a lot of really human, um, you know, trials and tribulations and things that, you know, you as an individual can kind of relate to. um, Because, you know, I mean, at this point, I've been reading superhero comics for basically my whole life like mm-hmm. I, I know superman's gonna win like it's not really <laughs> a question of if he's gonna defeat you know brainiac or lex luthor or whatever um and it's not that i don't enjoy reading those stories like i still like a lot of that stuff but um you know i find myself being most affected by you know stuff like you know tom king's mr miracle run um or you know superhero comics like uh matt fraxton takai where you're kind of like invested in this person invested in this character and you're kind of seeing either yourself or you know real world conflicts being reflected back to you um and and kind of being able to to deal with and and look at those um you know trials and and tribulations and emotions in that aspect so hopefully elk mountain kind of gives you the same thing where you're able to kind of you know take a different perspective a different look at you know things going on around you you know just through the guise of a superhero comic very cool Okay, so why don't you let people know where they can find you online and on on social media so that they can keep up to date with this Kickstarter? Sure. Uh, You can find my Twitter at uh, JRSosa18 on Twitter, J-R-S-O-S-A-1-8. It's the same thing on Instagram if you want to follow me there. Uh, My website is jclarkconics.squarespace.com if you want to go there. Um, We're going to try to do some cool stuff, you know, for the Kickstarter, try to get some cool promotion stuff going on. So definitely check all those places uh, and and hopefully you'll join us for the Kickstarter on April 12th. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll be sure to link all of your social media and your webpage on, on, and the show notes for this episode. Cool. All right. Well, I'm very excited for Friday and for, for the launch. Uh, And uh, hopefully you get a little bit of rest because that uh, 30 days (laughs) is is a trying marathon to, to run a Kickstarter. It's almost, yeah, it's almost like having a second full-time job yeah. to, to, to do that. So It's All rough, right. but I'm, I'm ready for it. So. Cool. All right. Well, I'd like to uh, thank everybody for listening. And like I said, I'm going to list all of, uh, all of your, your um, social media in the show notes. And we are definitely going to share whatever we can for the, for the Kickstarter. Um, if anybody wants to go on to iTunes and give us a rating or a review, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, we are on Twitter. We are at we are at Construct Compod. We are on Instagram at Constructing Comics, and we are on Facebook at Facebook slash Constructing Comics. Um, and I'd like to thank everybody for listening, and we'll be back with a, another episode very soon. Thank you. Goodbye.